Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How are you now? I'm joined by a couple of idiots. Uh, broadcasting for the, for the studios of Sydney in Gadigal Country. It's the Theory of Thing Investment Podcast Season Eight, Episode Seven. Remember, if it's talked about enough, it's a thing. This show is brought to you by the Australian Mutual Funds Exchange, uh, giving you all the best access to all the best mutual funds around the world, anywhere you want. A reminder that all the advice contained in this is general in nature. Please speak to an advisor about your needs. Speaking of which, I am James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. I'm a white male, age 41. I'm wearing a grey suit, white shirt, blue tie. Uh, I'm joined by monkey number one, Heath Moss of HLM Investment. How are you now, Heath? I'm very well, thanks, mate. Hope you're well as well. This, <laughs> mate, you know what? Actually, a quick announcement to make. I've been up since Sparrows, uh, absolutely thumping through the day. I've had an Alan Gray presentation for lunch. Fantastic. They're, they're always doing good work. How um, good are they? I know that they're, they're amazing. Keep doing good work. I had, have managed to really help out a client uh, uh, extraordinarily well with some stuff, um, with her allocations and, and, and get her out of a bit of strife. This is that one that I was sort of talking about last week. So it's the, the way that retail works, it's never just easy. It's never just one thing. It's always just a continual um, alteration, grey area, getting getting through and, and, and doing everything that you can to help someone out. So I'm making an official declaration, uh, an announcement. That is how that is going. Uh, it's not 8 o'clock in the morning, guys. It's 3.21 in the afternoon on the 25th of May, 2023 in Sydney. <clears throat> So I'm allowed to have a beer, uh, and that's it. I'm also joined uh, by Chris Weston of Pepperstone. Chris, how are you now? Mate, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much, and it's a pleasure for being on today. Oh, get a beer in your hand. That's an Orion. That's an Orion draft. They saw that downstairs. I'm at the Castle Ray office today, so um, oh, that goes all right, mate. Now, um, we've had a, a bit going on, um, to putting it lightly, I suppose, mm. Uh I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and limb here, and, and you know, hey, it's 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 a big world. We're all men here. Um, well, I I'm gonna say that I probably underplayed the deal in the debt ceiling situation. Mm. Um, I think that I underplayed. Not only did I underplay, I, I, like, I assumed that a deal was gonna get done fairly rapidly, or at least on the deadline that that that, that it can get done. Um, and then I was thinking, okay, then it's done, and then everything sort of moves on. I was not as aware as I should have been, and this is something that I want to amend because, you know, every, the, the wisest of men still have much to learn, as they say, yeah. um, that it was sort of more of a, uh, it was actually a Morgan Stanley note that came out of the, at the top of the week just sort of talking about that potentially we see that the next downturn in the market is that even if a deal does get passed in the US, and I'm talking about the debt ceiling thing, I don't need to explain this, and if you don't know what the debt ceiling is, then maybe this isn't the podcast for you or look it up as we sort of go along, but... Um, that as a deal sort of got passed, that 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 amount of money to that, that was then going to be agreed on on whatever deal that had to happen to raise the debt ceiling was actually then going to be a negative for markets. And they said that, and they didn't really go into the detail of doing it. Now I know that Chris, you, it, it's not your wheelhouse. That's okay. But I've had you on because you have been banging the drum <laughs> to your credit about how important this debt ceiling thing was. We have been listening to you. We have not been ignoring you. We have been listening to you, but you put out 
a first-class phenomenal YouTube video last week. Uh, yesterday. yesterday, sorry, last week. Yesterday, that's how well James is going. I've had three. I've had three sips. I've had three sips of this Orion beer, and I'm good. I'm good to go, mate. Um, yeah, yeah. You put out this uh, a cracking YouTube video, which I'm assuming is linked to your to your Twitter account or wherever you want to put it. That yep. um, the details exactly what's going on. It's <clears throat> um, it's first class. Can you please try and help me understand the lose lose downside of the situation? And mainly, what they talked about is that. We see that this is a liquidity crisis. That even if a deal gets passed, how liquidity gets taken out of the market. I know it's not your wheelhouse, but if you could just kindly explain what is going on. Yeah, like I think there's not that many people in, in in the public domain who are experts in the financial plumbing. There are a lot of people in the podcast scene who are, you know, who made a made a bit of a trait for themselves as being the uh, yeah the the experts in this world steady on pal my my my, my scene is um as a trader and and also yeah in heaps world and your world is is as an investor is, is is how we can recognize certain things to manage risk right so what we're looking for is 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 what are the risks around this and i think it comes back to the first point so as soon as a deal's passed um and it and it's voted through congress um, the Treasury Department have a mandate now to fund itself so they can make ongoing payments. You know, these are the things that they've been restrained from doing so because their cash balance has been drawn down. And, of course, the, the debt ceiling is, has, has been, you know, fixed. So the first thing they're going to do is, is go out and fund themselves. And they'll do that through the, through the capital markets and they'll issue bills. And so for people out there who don't know what Treasury bills are, they are effectively... Uh, short-term debt instruments, they don't pay a coupon or a level of fixed income, uh, fixed interest. They are issued at a discount. So, you know, say 98 cents on the dollar or whatever they're trading at, 99.8 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. And they will redeem on maturity at a, a, a par 100. The These are the most sought-after high-quality instruments in the financial markets. They're used for collateral purposes in repo and and for so many different parts. But ultimately, the Treasury Department will go out and say, we're going to issue $1.3, $1.4 trillion worth of debt over a 12-month period, which is an obscene amount of money. Um, But what they'll also do is is front-load that. So we're talking about 750 to 800 billion US dollars of these short-term bills which are going to be issued to the markets. There'll be private buyers. There'll be people who are there who are supporting these. So, yeah, go back to your world, which is an equity market. Mm -hmm. This is like a company going out and saying, we want to raise cash and they'll issue more shares. The the market then absorbs that and and, and buys that on the the IPO, for example. So these guys, they'll issue these T-bills, 700 billion uh, in, in, we're talking about a couple of months' time. Uh, which is a, a ridiculous amount of money that, that needs to be absorbed by the private markets. So it comes down to who's buying this. Well, first of all, you've got money market funds. These are government agencies, government funds, who largely invest their capital in what we call the RRP facility, which is the reverse repo facility. They get uh, a, a sort of a risk-free rate of 5.05%. So this is where it comes to the plumbing, right? They, they control short-term interest rates, what we call the Fed Fund's effective rate, things like SOFA rates, GC repo, all these kind of short-term rates. They use that by controlling it with an upper and lower corridor. This is where it gets very technical. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, um, money market funds could absorb this very easily. They've got over $4 trillion of capital. That means obviously liquidating some of these RRP uh, holdings. Where it becomes very interesting um, are banks who 
we all know that in the US, well, a lot of people know that in the US that if, a, if, if someone deposits a million dollars with a bank, um, they have to hold reserves against that deposit, 10%. Yep. So if you, capital, if you, your capital, uh, capital adequacy. Exactly right. So yeah. if, if, if someone put deposits a million dollars with a bank, they need to hold 100 grand as a reserve. Yep. As, and, and they have a minimum amount of reserves that need to be in the system. Anything above those regulatory requirements, uh, interest, they, they will park that money on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet and they will earn 5.15%. This is interest earned on excess reserves. Okay. What we're seeing is, is that some of these private entities will look to re- draw down on these excess reserves there's currently $3.28 trillion of these excess reserves in the system. And what they'll do is they'll liquidate these, these excess reserves and use those dollars then to support the treasury market and the, and the treasury issuance that we're talking about, $800 billion. The concern we've got in the market here, where, where it becomes a bit of a risk event, um, is there is a, f- a floor um, where there is too few reserves in the market. They have to have a certain amount because of regulatory demands. But if mm-hmm. it goes down to a certain level, then 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 shit breaks. We saw that in 2019 when we saw the repo crisis. We saw a repo uh, a level of reserves coming to to a, to a scarcity. Effectively, then we saw repo blowing up. We saw repo rates. Now, repo for people out there who who don't understand it. Effectively, I will use a treasury bond or a T bill, and I will use that as collateral to get short term overnight collateral as loan funding. And I will get that cash and I'll be used that for my working capital as a business. Banks use it all the time. It's really, really important. One of the most important parts of the financial system. So tre- treasury bills are really important in that in that capacity for yep. financing. Before, so remember to- before COVID, a repo almost fell over. And everyone sort yeah, exactly. of forgot about everyone forgot about that because COVID took the headline. Well, that was 2019. So yeah. you can go on Wikipedia it and yeah, yeah, look it up. And and so the, the the point was is that is reserves in the system got down to a finite level. Remember, there is a a, a fixed level where where there's a scarcity, and that level is around 2.3, 2.5 trillion dollars. Okay. So if we were to see, which is the consensus of the market, if we were to see about half a trillion dollars of reserves being drawn down to buy these bills from these households and banks entities, then we get to a level where we start seeing a very thin buffer between what is considered to be a minimum capital level of reserves um, and and you know and and some problematic situations. So that's that's the concern that we have is that the level of issuance that's going to be happened by the Treasury to rebuild their very, very low cash levels that they've got at the moment so they can make these ongoing payments to things like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, um, obviously it's bond obligations, maturing uh, T-bills, all these factors that they need the cash for. They issue these bills and it will, will effectively what it's going to do is it's going to suck liquidity out of the market and it's going to get these levels of reserves down to a minimum level of reserves. That's when things start to become a little bit problematic so that's what we're seeing we're going to see qt effectively on steroids now of course the fact that i know about the fact that we know about this is kind of like this big known unknown but at the same time i think yeah the treasury has to do this they have to rebuild their cash levels they've already told us they're going to be raising 1.3 1.4 trillion dollars the question is 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 how do the markets react once this has happened, that's that's what we're i think this is where the conversation is now yeah. it's not necessarily about the debt ceiling we all know there has to be a, res- a reconciliation. We know there has to be a solution that goes through. By its general nature, there has to be an agreement. Otherwise, there'll be a catastrophe going on. The debt ceiling will be raised. The conversation now is, is once it's raised, once they issue this amount of debt and you're sucking dollars out of the system, you're going to see short-term rates going up, dollar liquidity going up. What does this mean for the financial markets? 
Can can you explain in really simple terms what that means on an the economy side of things, for earnings side of things, all this liquidity being sucked out of the uh, the system. It's a good question. I think, first of all, let's, let's take it a step back. The agreement that takes place between the Democrats and the Republicans, that could have a big implication for economics in itself, right? I mean, the Republicans want spending caps, spending cuts. The Democrats want tax hikes. Let's say we get... Uh, Tax. Let's uh, say so we get spending cuts. It's a question of what, what what those spending cuts look like in the first place. I mean, are we talking fifty basis points of GDP over the next twelve months plus? I mean, that's that's coming, and when we get a slightly slowing economy as it is. Um, so I think that agreement is one thing that we need to consider before we even think about QT. Um, we go into the situation where liquidity is being sucked out. Look, you know, you've got. All these reserves coming down to a level of scarcity. At the moment, we've got ample reserves in the in the system. If we get down to a level of scarcity, then I think that that has big implications for risk assets because liquidity effectively is the oxygen in the market's lungs. That's the way we've got to think about it. Mm. If there's too few liquid uh, reserves in the system, you know that that's when the cost of dollar funding goes up, short-term rates go up. Effectively, what you're doing then is the cost of capital is going up for businesses. It's going up for everyone in the market. So the cost for repo is going up. The cost for leverage for repo is going up. If you're a business out there and you want a short-term loan, effectively what you're seeing is the short-term money market rates where the cost for interbank liquidity is going up. That that cost of funding is going up and that makes borrowing more expensive. That means credit contracts, banks, you know, deposits flee. Um, and so that's very hard to model. But what it ultimately means is that um, you're going to see lower loan growth. The cost for borrowing is going to go up. And so it's going to have, a, obviously, a negative impact uh, on, on economics. So it's difficult to say, for me to say this is, this, is, this is what it's going to do, because that really depends on what happens with short-term rates. We're talking about GC repo rates. We're talking about um, yeah, mm. SOFA rates and various factors. But what, what I'm looking for, most importantly, um, and this is, this is kind of what we, where we get really technical, is where the market tells me, that they're seeing stress in the financial system. So I can talk about all these acronyms. I can talk about these kind of crazy interbank rates and stuff like this that mo most people haven't heard of. Hmm. What's most important for me is when the market tells me we're at a point of stress. Now, that might not happen. You know, the fact this is so well telegraphed suggests that all these authorities may get their house in order and actually look to limit this damage. But what we're looking at is, 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 is everyone can go out and Google it, and it's called the Fed Fund's Effective Rate. Okay, so this is where they guide the cost of money. This is this is the cost of money and cost of interbank borrowing. So these are the weighted average of daily transactions that take place between repo, um, between you know SOFA, all this kind of these short-term rates. Now, if we see that trading at a premium to the upper bounds, which is called the interest earned on reserve balances. IORB, which you can see on trading view. If that trades at a premium, then basically it's telling me that monetary policy is broken in the US. And that and, and if it gets to above 10 basis points, this is the point I believe that the Federal Reserve are going to turn around and they're going to stop quantitative tightening, which effectively is allowing their balance sheet to, to run off and, and, and contract. So every, all these bonds that become to maturity, they um, they won't reinvest the proceeds. They'll just allow their balance sheet to run off. That's the trigger point. So you'll see the effective rate, the cost of these short-term loans trading above the upper band that the Fed set. That's the point when we're going to see real stress. That's the point where the market will be saying 
that we're going to see an end to QT and perhaps we could see a short burst of quantitative easing balance sheet expansion, printing reserves, just like the Bank of England did. Do you remember when we had the um, that, that short-term burst where the, yeah, the, re, uh, the, 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 yeah, the pension the funds, well, the guilt, yeah, the guilt market blew yeah. up and yeah. Yeah, they had to come in and do a short burst of Q, QE effectively to help yeah. their, um, yeah, the, 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 the pension industry effectively. So we, we could see that. So this is going to be the big trade. Effectively, what you're doing is you're sucking liquidity out of the market. You're raising dollar rates, you're raising dollar funding, um, and you could get to a point where there's going to be stress in, in the cost for finance. Okay. Uh, th- that's that's that is I think probably the best explanation that I could possibly put together, or that I, is, I could I could have on here. That's it's that's it's as good it's, as we're it's, one of, get. it's it's one of those things where you have to know the plumbing of the financial system. There's a lot of kind of short term borrowing rates and things that a lot of people have ever heard of. Um, what's most important though is is I don't think you necessarily need to understand who the players are, who has access to RRP, who has access to the interest on excess All you need is that there's a, a ridiculous amount of, of, of money of, of bills that are going to be issued to the to the private sector that that needs to be absorbed and when you're talking about that level of, of of capital that needs to be absorbed of course that's coming out of another part of the market so you're sucking liquidity out of one part of the market that could be used in other places and i think that's going to have a dramatic it could have a dramatic effect um on on funding in the yeah. markets and, and that is that is fairly where the prediction lies at the moment on that one too so that okay that that does explain it quite well about it's just basically just where where funds are better used. Okay, use it in this particular area as opposed to um, yeah. In, and in just the remember as well, remember, as usual. going to going to European banks as well. You know, the, the European banks borrowed a whole heap of money from the ECB after the pandemic. They were called the PEP program, so the the pandemic emergency program. Mm. And they borrowed. I can't remember the exact number, but it's you know talking billions and billions of dollars, uh, euros of very 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 cheap liquidity. Um, and they could use that for for whatever reason they wanted, yeah, you know, for as you know, for borrowing purposes and, and try and grow, you know, they grow their earnings effectively. But they've got very cheap liquidity now. They've paid a lot of this money back to, back to the ECB, um, but we're still talking about something like five hundred and thirty billion euros of this this of these loans, which which are expected to be paid back to the ECB on the thirtieth of June. That's a lot of liquidity coming off the European bank's balance sheet that needs to be paid back. And again, I don't think that's fully priced into markets as well. So that could have an impact on you know, the cost of banks funding. Um, and so we may see some greater fragility coming through in the European banks as a result of all this liquidity coming off the European bank's balance sheet and going back to the ECB. So we're talking in that Q3 window, a liquidity drain from markets. And as I said, liquidity is the life in, in financial markets. We've all become accustomed to it. There's a difference between system liquidity, which is, you know, the level of reserves and level of cash in the financial system. And then there's obviously what you and I deal with every day, you know, it's just liquidity in the market, which allows us to get in and out of positions and, and, and you know, plays into our transaction costs. But yeah, you know, liquidity in financial markets, whether it's system liquidity or market liquidity, is, is probably one of the most important functions in financial markets. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Excellent. Chris, I know that you've got a hard stop, mate. You got a footy tip for us? <laughs> I can't get into my sports bet account <laughs> to, 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 to give you the tip, I'm afraid. So um, <laughs> I, might have to, uh, I might have to come back to you on Twitter on that one. All right, mate. Odds on, uh, odds on Arsenal winning the title next year? Oh, uh, piss off. <laughs> or, 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 or bottling it. Which one? <laughs> mate, if, you, if, if we'd had this podcast this, same, this time last year and you said Arsenal were going to come second, I would, have, I would have bitten your arm off every day of the week. We're going to be Champions League football. And do you know, as Ray Parler quite, quite eloquently said, 
it doesn't matter where we finished. Tottenham are far worse than us. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little, I, I actually think that Tottenham have missed out on that beautiful, the coveted fifth, uh, you know, that Europa League group stage as well, which is something that, yeah, everyone really guns for that. That's the, that's the dream, getting in there. I actually think that they've missed that too. It's all... It's all gone cactus. I think My, this weekend uh, we've actually got this is the big relegation weekend, isn't it? Um, who gets yeah, yeah, what spots? A few, few, I love few, this few teams that could drop out. Um, we'll move around. The, the points uh, are really tight down the bottom there, so yeah, it could be could be a bit of action. But my my Liverpool got that fifth spot. Um, in what was a very disappointing season by our standards. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's possible Tottenham might have been. Uh, Tottenham should have been a bit higher. Arsenal should have won the whole thing. Manchester City are cheats. Liverpool underperformed. Uh, and there's the year in review from the EPL show, a.k.a. the theory of things. <laughs> Chris, uh, Chris Weston, uh, uh, no one disagrees. When I say Manchester City are a bunch of cheats, I mean, th- come on, guys. Come yeah, on. 100, 115 charges against them. Come one. on. Uh, oh. <laughs> they got to sort it out. Yeah, I just – I mean, they're, they're, up, they're up for the triple. Um, oh. it's, 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 it's not great, to be honest. But, I mean – at least English football's uh, dominating, and, and so it's better than Italian football dominating, I suppose. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it, <laughs> <Okay>. I, <laughs> it's got a weird way of rationalising stuff, mate. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, you've got me on talking about the, the debt ceiling and, and the aftermarket, and it's. I hope I did it. A, a, it's a hard subject, as simple as possible. But uh, mate, you've, yeah, done, sports, you've, you've done. Sports, a, you've done a great job. Sports, sports the. Uh, sports the. Um, what everyone tunes in for, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate. And that, that was a really good way of just explaining exactly what's ahead, and it is still ahead. I don't believe it's priced into markets. I don't think it's priced at all, to be honest. Yeah, and me I think, either. You know, you situations every... are difficult to price, and and this is going to be one of those things that in about two months' time, or maybe in six weeks' time, I personally be, believe everyone's going to be talking about this. Um, and I think this is kind of like at the moment, it's kind of the last two weeks. It's been rate strategists at JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, as you say, who have been sort of talking about this and, and what life looks like with this massive amount of issuance and, and yeah, this QT on steroids effectively. And in two weeks, you're going to see the mainstream media talking about it. And, and when markets start reacting, which I think they will, mm. um, yeah, then it will be a mainstream conversation. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's good to do your homework. It's good to understand why this is happening, even if you don't fully understand the mechanics of it, so you can manage that risk a little bit better. Good enough for me, mate. Well done. Excellent. Thanks, mate. Take care, lads. Thank you all. Uh, Well, that was Chris Weston from Pepperstone, and as always, a good friend of the show, has been ever since we were named something different, has been a a friend of the show ever since it wasn't technically my show, but it was my idea um, when it was back called, what was it called? Devils and Details with Business Insider. Um, And it's gone back a bit. That is going back a long way. That's when Colgo, Colgo and I had a beer and I was just like, you know what, I want to do a podcast. And Colgo's like, uh, I need to leave. I'm going to go and start a podcast. So I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, and that's and that's where all that uh, that's where all that came from. Uh, what have we got? So who's – I think like, just, yeah. just touching on that debt ceiling stuff again. Yep. I think what uh, Westy has, has got right is the mainstream media and even mainstream financial uh, markets media – are really covering this agreement hard and going hard on the agreement. It is really hard to find anything out there on the aftermath, what happens next. And and that's why I think Chris Weston's video on YouTube, which I think we should put in the show notes if we can, yeah, I'll suck it in. Um, is so important. It does really well to break it down 
of the the consequences of this agreement and you know what can happen in money markets moving forward and um, I think uh, things like uh, he talks about in there about a shortage of US dollars and and that's possibly why the US dollars already rallying now um, that is in preparation for this and yep. obviously that has foreign effects like uh, you know it's negative for gold it's negative for commodities overall headwinds for earnings moving forward etc cetera, etc cetera. so. I, I implore everyone to go have a look at that YouTube video and uh, and have a listen. Yeah, I'll chuck it in the notes. Actually, I'm going to try and find it now as we sort of have, the, have this discussion as we go and see if I can pull it up because it was sensational. Um, the Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, uh, because we had Chris on a, a hard stop, so we sort of skipped out on the beginning. Um, Heath, how are you going? You well? I'm fantastic. What's the latest from your neckers, mate? Um, a bit stressed. We're, we're organising a, a, a birthday party for my seven-year-old. He turned seven on Monday, but he's having a his first ever birthday party on Saturday uh, with a few mates and that, just at a local park and that. But the amount of stress of getting everything done and, you know, Making sure everything's ready is is just yeah. keeping another eye on the weather as well. It's it's just uh, yeah, stressing me, stressing myself and my wife out a little bit. Yeah, May, but, uh, May child, he's pumped for it. He's oh, that's good. Pumped for it. So, um, what sort of cake? Yeah, that's, that's uh, chocolate mud cake. Just traditional oh. chocolate mud cake. Yeah, because and, uh, yeah, seven year old boys are amazing when it comes to chocolate mud cake and keeping their stuff clean, mate. Are you sure that's <laughs> that's a low? Let's talk. Let's talk about low percentage trades here, mate. Come on, <laughs> wear a dark shirt. It's a it's a how to train your dragon theme. So it, everything's there's a lot of black in that. So that's that's good. We, you won't uh, see any brown stains or all right. Bunch of goth, anywhere, bunch so. of goth kids in the park. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In Adelaide too, um, which is uh, yes. the home of Australian goth. Fantastic, <laughs> mate. I am oh, looking mate, stories I could tell you. <laughs> um, oh, gee, the weather's starting to turn a touch, isn't it? I've got uh, yeah. I've got at the my city my Castlereagh office where I'm uh, where I'm working out of here in in town. I got I used to have water views that I look over Sydney Harbour, a little bit of Sydney Harbour, tiny amounts, and now they've put a building up in front of me, which shows that it's you know things are going amazing. I'll do my I'll do my Craig Jones as, as you can see based on the amount of buildings that are going up around <laughs> Sydney. Construction is going booming, so there's no reason at all to stay away from the construction companies in Sydney. So that's actually a big reason to stay away from the construction. Anyway, uh, so commercial property is absolutely going fantastically well. Uh, yeah, and the reflection that I've got shows that there's a bit of a bit of nasty weather out there uh, yep. in Sydney at the moment. So it's interesting. Um, myself, not that you asked, I am I'm sore as hell, mate. I am uh, I'm absolutely sore. I'm training my ass off. Yeah. Rope, your rope, my jump. rope jump. My, I yep. am, uh, I'm jump roping because oh, I'm in for the three minute and the 30 second speed 
at Nationals, which starts in two weeks and one day. There's a joke there I'm not going to touch. What's that? <laughs> the three minute or the 30 second. <laughs> <laughs> classy, super classy. <laughs> I, yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I've got ahead of me. And I, I've been just, I've been doing it. Uh, I, it's, it's skipping on tiles. Like my, my glutes are in pain. <laughs> Another joke. Um, but my back is absolutely killing me. There's a reason why. There's a reason why gymnasts and these guys do that stuff on that beautiful sprung floor that they have at the at the yeah at the centres. Uh, so I'm really feeling it. Also, my posture is just generally speaking pretty ordinary anyway. So that's uh, that's how that's going. Oh, that's hell's bells. Now, uh, although the markets, uh, here's the thing: everyone getting very freaked out about markets. Now back back to actual work stuff that we're talking about here. Um, yep. And I'm just going to pull up two of the things that I've got that I really wanted to talk to you about. Where are we here? Uh, okay, so markets are absolutely, um, you know, people have started to panic. Um, what's going on with the markets? But, you know, quite frankly, I've got – I had a look at our US exposure, which which you should do, and you're supposed to know this, but I actually had a – you've got to have a double check and just sort of see what your US exposure. Our two biggest US holdings that we have in our portfolios are H&DQ, because mm-hmm. I always go hedge because I, I hate having to play the currency game. I'm just not good at it. And yep. QHAL, so the quality ETF and the Nasdaq ETF. Yep. And the third and fourth, I don't know in which order, biggest holding in each one of those ETFs is Nvidia. So, yep. based on last night, our US exposure is fine. Do you want yes. to walk us through the Nvidia bits and pieces? Uh, that that uh, that uh, was phenomenal this morning. Um, seeing a seven hundred billion dollar plus company pop twenty six percent in after hours, that is that is phenomenal. It's it's going to be knocking on the door of the trillion dollar club soon. It could be tonight. Um, yeah, it could be. But I mean, to me, I mean, because I, we know what's coming up in that third quarter with that liquidity drain, etc., and how equity markets have reacted to that in the past, as in quick, short, sharp. Sell-offs, like ten percent plus sell-offs. I think it it could be an opportunity to take some of that money off the table, especially in HNDQ. Um, but uh, that, that that result from Nvidia was uh, really really solid. They smashed um, earnings and uh, revenue guidance. Oh, sorry, um, estimates out of the park. Even though they're still down, I think earnings were down twenty percent and revenue down thirteen uh, percent this period last year. But it was their forecast that really, really got everyone excited, their Q2 forecast. I think the market expected $7 billion in revenue for Q2. They came and said, we're expecting 11 so, you know, 60% higher. Yep. Um, and uh, then they then they made mention, I was going through some of their uh, the, the call uh, notes, uh, made mention that they expect um, uh, second half to be super, super strong, uh, much, much more stronger than the first half this year. Yep. It's all being driven by AI and data centres. Uh, data center revenue grew. Well, 14%. how about that? Yep, grew fourteen percent in Q one, um, and that's over 50 percent of their revenue. Yep. Um, so that's where the growth is coming. Uh, gaming's also a large part of their revenue, twenty around twenty percent. But uh, that was off thirty eight percent. But that's normal considering the cycle of the, uh, the Xboxes and Playstations, etc. Out there. Yep. Yep. Um, well, but it's it's all about data centers and everyone moving towards. This AI, being able to offer AI services at their data data centers yep. and having to upgrade. Yep. And from what I hear, uh, Amazon and AWS are the ones that are most uh, furthest behind. 
behind. Um, they did that with their, yeah. their cloud stuff. Okay. Yeah, they're um they're they're behind in terms of their AI uh, abilities and offerings. So yeah. apparently their current chipsets in their uh, data centers aren't uh, what what you need. Um, and they're going to spend a lot of capex over the next few years getting them upgraded. Uh, but Microsoft and Google are well ahead there and uh, on the front foot. So I've got a friend. Yeah, it's okay. So yeah, it's all about AI, obviously. It's all about AI. I've got a friend who's in tech, um, and I. Any more details on that? Okay. And, and I was talking about my idea with Equinix. Remember I bought Equinix a few weeks ago? Yep. It's actually more yep. like a – it was about a month or so ago. It's actually, it, was, it was a bit longer than that. Just based on this data centers being um, – you know, it's a great company, but also just based on that boost from data centers and everything like that. His response to me yes. was just like, oh, the AI thing is is a lot of it's overblown and, look, it's going to get found out that a lot of the, uh, lot of the requirements aren't and you're going to find that a lot of the staff that get replaced by AI – Technically, means that data centers won't actually be any uh, won't any grow. Sorry, won't grow as much as as people say that they will. Based on, it. and I've just gone. Ah, here's the difference between someone who's who's on the inside of the knowledge, but not inside information. Who's on the inside of the knowledge? Who's close to the knowledge, but not in investments? Because we're not. We hadn't hit the exuberant phase yet, and I don't think that we had. Maybe last night was. Maybe this morning was. Yeah, I think last night would would be in tonight. Okay. I and think it will be a confirmation. And uh, I was, yeah, I, I, I was sort of pointing out to him that investing, investing isn't always about doing what's right. Sometimes it's more about just doing what you know the crowd is going to do. The momentum. It's the, the it's, you know, it's just yeah. that thing. I said, mate, they're going to say yes, AI, AI, AI. All of these things are going to get bid up. Everything is going to go bananas. That's when you sell, and because you know. That a lot of it is 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 a foo for all. You know that data center companies. This is what he said to me. So, so imagine a data center company, right? So you got Equinix that they're running their data centers, and you've got your AI things AI things going. This is where it's all going to get the, the floor is going to come out of it. We've seen the floor come out of every single thing: the graphite and lithium and cloud stuff. And it, you know where it's just like, okay, this is a little bit overcooked because everything everyone gets all excited about it and everyone jumps in. He was like, imagine a data center company. So you're a sales guy for a data center company, or you, you know, you're a key account manager. And you go to the Commonwealth Bank of Australia and you say to them, hey, with all this AI stuff that we've got going on, your data centre charge is now at 50%. Not be That's not even a conversation you're going to have, <laughs> right? No. So you can't price that in to the data centre company. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. He's going, okay, so so why are we investing in this? I said, because we know that this hasn't, that exuberance hasn't been priced in yet. And, and it's got such a long tail and, and runway ahead. Yeah. There, there's still so much of the digital economy yet to move to the cloud and yet to, you know, even touch AI or think about touching AI. Yeah. So th- th- we need more data centers. Uh, we need more, more chips. We definitely um, need more. So, we definitely so need the, more. Growth, the growth in, uh, you know, earnings in that should continue for a while. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, you look at something like NVIDIA is trading 50, 60 times earnings. And you say that's just ridiculous. But I think the market's pricing, you know, what's happening five, ten years down the track with this sort of stuff. Oh, mate, uh, uh, and NVIDIA are the, are the, you know, the poster boys of AI and chips in the market as well. I mean, they're, they're probably the forefront of the technology, them and Taiwan Semiconductors. Yeah. Um, and the guys like AMD and uh, Intel are, are well behind. So There's a few, there's a few um, stocks that I just wish I bought and hold, and that's it. And that's Google, obviously. Um, yep. which I'm still, you know, partially partially holding on. And NVIDIA, 
you just look, you, you look at and and also to, to some extent Amazon, Amazon below a thousand dollars like back in two thousand sixteen seventeen. That's yep. That's the sort of thing that you know that that you've got clients that actually go and say, hey, I've got this, and that's that's it's a real. Just a real thing, I, you know, and I do want to talk more about sort of this, our experience as retail advisors as well. Um, Clients love to hold names that people know. Like, yeah. say, I own Apple shares. I At own crazy Apple low shares. prices too. Yeah, yeah. You know, I own CSL shares. You know, that's a that's a big one yeah. for me and my clients. I've got a lot of clients that got in the IPO of CSL back yeah. in the 90s. Oh, and they, they, they haven't sold a single stock. They yeah. keep adding. And they just they just love it to bits, and you know you can't can't argue against it at the moment. Yeah, and and you can't, and you know hey, we'll get Rudy we'll get Rudy um, on here one time from FN Arena to talk about CSL. It's just banging the drum. <laughs> All right, now next stage in the show, I'm going to throw three tweets that I've picked up here uh, at you, Heath. Completely unplanned. Yep. This is the new this is the new thing that I've just decided to start last week. And yep. okay, you ready? Coming in fresh. First one. Yep. Now I don't know who it's from. Uh, I think it's that Nate. What's his name, Nate Jurassic or whoever it was? It's there. Anyway, right, the first tweet, 96% of S&P 500 return contribution from the 10 largest constituents. No other positive oh. performance year even close except for 2007. So we've had, yeah, 95.6% of uh, the t- top 10 as a percentage of total. Um, yeah, that- that doesn't surprise me at all. I, I'd heard um, last week it was seventy eight percent was attributed to the top five. Yep, and that's we all, yeah. We so Asad that. yeah. put that on his tweet. That's right. Yeah, and, yeah. and these are numbers that have just been thrown around. But the top ten, top ten at ninety five point six. Top ten in two thousand and seven, where the S and P five hundred went up three point five percent. And and keep in mind that this year the S and P five hundred is already up nine point two percent. That. In 2007, which was only up by a third of what we're up already, uh, only 78.7% was attributed to the top 10. Nothing nothing has even come close. And then it goes daylight, 58.9% back in 2020, 54% back in 1990. You usually sort of expect that to be sort of the area that you're in. Um, mate, at what stage do you go these defensive tech stocks? I hate to say they are, but... Do you, I mean, you've got to, you've got to rebalance a touch at some stage, right? Yeah. I, I would. I mean, I think tonight will be the night. I think we, as exuberant and everyone could be saying, you know, the, the Nasdaq. I think futures are up about one and a half percent or something like that. I think we could see some money taken off the tables. You know, you, you could see Nvidia open at you know three hundred and eighty bucks a share from the close of three hundred and five last night. Yeah, um, and it's going to drag a lot of uh, tech stocks with it. I think. You're going to see some some profit taking towards the end of the thing, especially with the nervousness about the debt ceiling agreement, and I think some of the aftermath of the debt ceiling when it does get agreed is starting to cycle through the markets. Hmm. I think, and and like you said, the the rally has been so concentrated in you know those ten names. I, I mean, I can't see how you couldn't take some money off the table and say, let's see how this plays out. And I think, yeah, like I said, it could be you know tonight. Okay, could be, could be. I'm just looking at. Uh, now that you mention it, it's just a bit. Uh, look, I, I I would be looking at that right now. It's three fifty eight on uh, Thursday afternoon. There's no chance to close any of those ETFs if you wanted to do so. So I'm just going to sit here and talk to you and just hope that it's one more day to go until I sort of start to slice a little bit off the table on these ones. But the um, try not to try not to react a bit too much. Right, the next one, uh, Kit Low. 
who's posted something from the Bank of America Global Research team. The US, this is a bit of a chance for me to get on my soapbox and do a bit of a gloat, the US 60-40 portfolio was a disaster in 2022, as we know, but it is up 28% year-to-date. Sensational, yep. Who uh, Do you know anyone who spent a fair chunk of last year saying that 60-40 was going to be one of the better ways of going about your year in 2023? I might might know someone, but his name... (laughs) Come on, man. His head's big enough. Come on, man. I got, I got, <laughs> a, little bit, I got a little bit slammed. I got a little bit slammed for it. And also, it's just like a lot of people, say, oh, it was fine. But the Bank of America uh, fund manager research actually said, actually showed that people thought that it was going to be the worst performing portfolio into this year as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not surprised at the psychology of that sort of things. You know, the worst performing, everyone thinks it's going to roll on forever until it's mm, not. But, mm. uh, yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not surprised it's it's done so well considering where rates were at the end of last year, yields were, and where they are now. They're still a good, you know, 70, 80 basis points below their peaks last year. So, you know, bond prices have obviously lifted nicely. Okay, and the last one that I've got here has got to be from Ryan Dietrich, and and you can pick anything from Ryan uh, on Twitter. He's got some great stats about past and previous uh, times in the market. Uh, you know, he's always a guy who's like, well, if, if the first month is positive after the last 10 months have been such and such, then usually the market's in. And, and a lot of it's grain of salt because, you know, the future is not always what the past is representative of, but something like this is something that you want to pay attention to maybe. Another clue, the October lows are in place and won't be violated, question mark. The S&P 500 200-day moving average is officially trending higher. Going back yeah, to, to the that, past 50 yeah. years, I see 10 other times this happened and not once were new lows made. In fact, a strong higher trend was the norm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's dangerous when you set, set those sort of precedents because it's <laughs> just begging for the investment gods to uh, throw it back in your face, isn't it? Yeah. Um, look, I mean, what's the lows around? The intraday lows were around the 3 4 Mark in there, the three four to three five, I think, on the S and P five hundred. Yeah, I can I can see a case where they they, they don't get breached again this time around. Um, yeah, yeah, because I mean, look, if you take tech out, forward earnings are around sixteen and a half times on the S and P five hundred, um, which isn't too bad. Um, when you when you add them back in, it's over eighteen, so it's quite expensive. Mm. So take ten percent off the market, we're heading towards you know thirty seven hundred. So yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can see that. I can see yeah. that holding true. Yes, I, I can see. I can also see a lot of people with eyes on severe technical areas on the S and P five hundred with this thing that Chris Weston just ran us through, drawing big thick lines. Sometimes they get a bit thicker, just so you give yourself a bit of leeway. And yeah, I reckon there's if if it bounces off some of these ones, that's going to be some of the best buying you could do in twenty twenty three. Yep. Um, yeah, my my areas were were forty fifty, which I think will test next week. Yep, uh, and thirty nine twenty. Uh, I haven't looked below that yet, but um, yeah, I can see like if we start to get that liquidity drain in Q three, like Westy was speaking about, I can see that quick ten percent sell off happening, um, and that's going to provide an excellent opportunity to jump into the market. I feel, especially into the resources and anything with a US dollar headwind space. Um, is going to be uh, it's going to be a prime opportunity to, to jump into something in those yep. areas. Um, Not at all. Now, uh, 
Okay. Is, have you got anything other business related to talk about? Otherwise, we're going to switch to footy tips. Uh, no, I think that's about it. Well, mate, little bottle of red label here. And that should go nicely. Okay. Now, uh, yeah, it's Thursday. It's after the market. Guys, everyone give me a break. It's been a long day. And it's been, I've had a lot of wins today. Everyone is fantastic. Everyone is happy. Amazingly, portfolios are sort of flat. Arpish, actually, I haven't even checked the the, the latest one. So we're all, everyone's fine. Um, AFL tips, Heath, what do you got? Uh, I went went fifty percent last week. Or the multi would have failed, but if you took them individually, uh, it was fifty percent. That was but, not um, what you advised, Heath Moss. No, no, I didn't. I know. Okay, no. you can't say if you hadn't listened to my advice and done something completely random, you would have won money. So <laughs> that's not how it works, um, my friend. Own the loss. And move on. It's owned. It's owned. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's still running at about 80 or 90% win, win rate. Shut up. <laughs> um, I think because I totally forgot that we were doing this podcast today and hadn't, <laughs> hadn't looked Does at the AFL properly this round. But I think last game of the round, Adelaide versus Brisbane, Adelaide's paying $2.15 at home. Um, I think we can beat anyone at Adelaide Oval. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, that's that's good money at two dollars fifteen. I will take the Crows at home versus Brisbane. Good work, mate. Okay, Crows at home versus the Brisbane Bears at Adelaide Oval. Good work. You know what I've got here, and you know how much I love my I, I don't really I, my North Sydney Bears uh, that aren't in the NRL, which we can talk about that at a later time. Um, what have I got down here? Now I do hate the Manlies. And hello to Shore uh, and Partners. And I look forward to the next time that I get invert, invited out to the Manly Seagulls. We've got money with you. Uh, the Newcastle Knights are playing the Manly Seagulls. I'm going to take the Newcastle Knights to beat the spread. What's the spread? I think it's five and a half. What have you got on your screen? Uh, uh... Ten and a half. Oh, cool. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jeez, hang on a minute, mate. What's going on? Uh, mate, I'm looking at something else here. I, I tell you, I, I reckon the Newcastle Knights will win by six. Okay, so if you want to, if you want to do the thin, the, the skinny one, they'll, you know, okay, they'll win head to head, dollar thirty five. I think that if you pick your own margin, they'll win by six, probably ten. So take get, take six and give yourself a buffer. And what else have I got going on here? There was another one that I looked. And I just went, yeah, that sounds about right too. Uh, oof. Parramatta Eels, they'll win. They'll win, yeah, and they'll win, and they'll win convincingly well too. Fourteen and a half. Fourteen and a half. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Slice that down. I always hate taking the bookie starts. Uh, you know what? Actually, I'm going to say this too. I hate taking the bookie start. I like to skim it down to about a dollar sixty. So pick your own margin, take it down to a dollar sixty, and then just just settle wherever that is. It's there. Because the book has been really, really good at getting starts very, very close, as the Anzac Day Collingwood Essendon game proved, it being right on the half point yep. mark on the siren. How do you think I was on, the, on that particular bet? <laughs> um, on the, the other side, <laughs> the, book, the bookies have been really good. Whatever algo they've got running now has got has got has just tuned in perfectly and um, good on it. Whatever it's doing, um, AI. AI will destroy us all. Um, uh, speak, okay, so that's what I've got. Parramatta Eels, take them, you know, whatever, whatever gets you sixty, and um, the Newcastle Knights also sort of take, you know, take six points. Um, they'll win that game by about six or more. So um, AI, last-minute last minute AI chat, and then we'll close it off. Um, 
uh, we welcome our new AI overlords. So always make sure that you thank your yes. AI, AI machine. Thank you, Siri, Amazon, maybe uh, they'll Google. Always thank Siri, the last one. Uh, this episode is brought to you by the Australian Mutual Funds Exchange. Go to amfex.com on your desktop to go and check out what they can do and get long pretty much any mutual fund on the planet. And it's, a, it's an amazing way of sort of getting to know it. We didn't even touch on Priority um, and his cavalcade of cavalcades being through the city over the last couple of days. They, they came through Milson's Point and that was very exciting for us. Um, but Australian-Indian relationships never been stronger and there's some amazing Indian funds that are out there. Oh, there was one other thing that I'm talking about this week, which is that the decoupling from China has given this amazing boost to India and Japanese funds as well. That really needs to be paid attention to. Um, one of the most important sentences, I read out one of the most important sentences, which is exactly that. Market flow has to go somewhere and it will, and also economic flow has to go somewhere and it will go to Japan and it will absolutely go to India. Japan if you want the developed market that will do your stuff that's premium stuff, and India, if you want your developing market, that will do it cheap and do their absolute best to get it done. And those are the two probably the, the two best emerging markets you can imagine over the next couple of months. So there you go. Beautiful. Okay. Are we done? Yeah, I think we're done. Wrap Thanks up. for joining us, everyone, and I'll see you next time. Cheers, Heath. Have a good one. See ya. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.